Okay, so settle down. And welcome to your new module, CPR. And we're going to start it with histo. So we're going to do two histology lectures of the cardiovascular system. So by the time we finish, we do two lectures by 3 o'clock. You should be able to look at your slides and tell me what's artery, what's vein, what's capillary, and the important things about them. So these are the introductory slides. And this is where the real thing begins. So the cardiovascular system is a closed system of tubes, and it's going to carry blood to and from the tissue, from, to, from the body, and from the lymph. Will also be a lymph we're going to study also the lymphatic system, and that will carry lymph from the tissues of the body. So along, it's in that route, you're going to be thinking about things, for instance, carrying to and from the tissue, nutrients, oxygen, hormones, carbon dioxide, metabolic waste. And the centerpiece of the cardiovascular system will be the heart. And then around the heart, you're going to have the blood vessels, be the arteries, the veins, the capillaries, the venules. And also, we're going to talk about the lymphatic vessels. For our study, the circulation pathways, there are two circulation pathways. One is referred to as being the pulmonary circulation, which basically brings the blood from the heart back to the lungs for it to be reoxygenated and then returned to the heart. Once that happens, then we're going to get into the systemic circulation in which the, the heart sends that oxygenated blood out towards the distal organs, and then that blood, once it has been deoxygenated, is going to be returned to the heart, and the entire system keeps on going wrong and wrong, and the centerpiece of it will be the heart. Let's get on to histology. We're going to start with the histology of the heart. Now, for other studies, when you do the anatomy lectures, you're going to know that the heart has the four chambers, right atrium, left atrium, right ventricle, left ventricle. This is a coronal section through the heart, and if you're able to highlight, of course, the cavities within the heart, the lumens of the different chambers within the heart. If you were to go and look and prepare a slide of an area of the heart, which will encompass the entire wall, the extent of the wall of the heart, then we will be able to tell that the heart, for our histological purposes, is divided into two, three tunics, or three layers. And the names of those three tunics will be the endocardium, the myocardium, and the epicardium. Okay? So this is from the inside towards the out. So the innermost one will be the endocardium, then comes the myocardium, and the outermost one will be the epicardium. When we go on to the blood vessels, which we're going to do later on, this endocardium, myocardium, and epicardium will then correspond or be synonymous with what you will refer to as the various tunics, and the endocardium will correspond to the tunica intima, the myocardium to the tunica media, and the epicardium will then correspond to the tunica adventitia. Here we have a histological section through the heart, and we can see here, as indicated in this box, this here represents the cavity or the lumen of the heart, and I'm seeing it <laughs> over here. The, the oh, it's there. Okay, all right. I think he needs to come because I'm seeing it on my slide, but it's not on. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Okay, so that's better. So it's a laser pointer, all right? So let's get on with it. So sorry about that. I didn't recognize that you weren't seeing it. So let's get on with the histology of the heart. So here we have the lumen, and then the innermost layer will be the endocardium, and this region over here will be the middle portion, will be the myocardium, and then towards the outside, we're going to have the epicardium. So those will be the three different layers of the heart, the three different tunics of the heart. Okay. Good. So, the heart, remember, is the central pump of the entire circulatory system, and it's also going to produce, for instance, like atrionaturetic factor, so it also functions as an endocrine organ. Okay, something is not working perfectly in this thing, I'm not... Uh, Ralph? <laughs> is he there? Okay. Okay, let's go into that. It's going to take a little, some of my time, but let's go on. So this is a section, and let's study with this section, the endocardium. So right where I have the cursor represents the lumen of the chamber, and the innermost layer, which is the area that comes into contact with the blood, represents the endocardium, and here you can see the endocardium will be made of what you refer to as being the endocardial cells, which is right, or the endothelial cells, which is right around this area where I have the pointer, and then underneath that, you're going to get a bit of connective tissue, which you refer to as being subendothelial connective tissue. And then deeper, um, I think, good, I need to press, so it's kind of not what I'm accustomed to doing. And then towards the inner portion, you're going to have here the myocardium, and this myocardium represents the middle tunic, or what you call the muscle of the heart. Now, in this subendothelial layer, you're going to find a special series of cells, and these series of cells are what you refer to as being the Purkinje fiber cells. So these are these cells here, which are highlighted here with the arrows. And these Purkinje fiber cells, they are important because they're going to form part of the cells which will be specialized for the electrical conduction in the heart. So here on this image, we're going to have an illustration of the electrical conduction in the heart. Here you have SA node, here you have the different parts of the AV node until we get all the way onto the bundle of His, which demonstrates the transmission of the electrical impulse in the heart, and this is facilitated or done by the presence of these Purkinje fiber cells. So in the subendothelial layer of the endocardium, you're going to have the presence of the Purkinje fibers, and this will be in the outermost aspect of that subendothelial connective tissue. How do these cells look? These cells, they can be recognized because compared to the normal myocardial cells here, these cells will be larger in size, good, and they're also going to have a pale nature to the cells, so they're paler staining, and this large size and pale stain has to do with the amount of glycogen within the cell because you're going to need that glycogen for the energy to facilitate the transmission of the electrical impulse, okay? As compared to the normal myocardial cells, these myocardial cells, or these cardiac muscle cells, as we say, they will be smaller, and they will going to stain more intensely because they're going to have more muscle content into it, the myofibrils. But these Purkinje fiber cells, you need to correlate this with electrical impulse, and that's how they're going to be responsible for the transmission of the electrical impulse in the heart. Let's go on now, and here you can see here, these here will be the Purkinje fiber cells. From here, let's go on to the valves. 
Now, within the valves, within the various chambers, or separating the various chambers, you're going to have valves. You're going to learn that there are semilunar valves and there are atrioventricular valves. And these valves serve as gateway or basically doors to go from, for, as the blood moves from one chamber to the next. In terms of the histology of the valves, what do we need to know? The valves are made from a fold of the endothelium. Oh, so here you're going to have the endothelium. So basically it's a fold of the endocardium. So what is it? You're going to be completely lined by endothelium. And then the core of it, or the inside of it, which is around this region, will be filled with connective tissue. And that connective tissue will be divided into three distinct zones. So the area towards one side, you're going to have the spongiosa layer. And this will be made from loose connective tissue with elastic fibers in between. Then the core of it will be made from a layer of what you refer to as the fibrosa. And this fibrosa will be dense irregular connective tissue. And then the third layer within the valves will be in the ventricularis layer. And this will also be made from dense connective tissue. Okay? So this is what we refer to as being the valves. Next up, let's go on to the typical myocardium, okay? Or what we refer to as being the cardiac muscle cells. So those of you who have done some of this content before, you'll be very familiar with these. And how do you go about identifying myocardium on the slides? First of all, let's take a look at this aspect of the slide, which is, of course, the HNE stain slide. And we can see here that there's a complex spiral arrangement of the cells. Each cell will have a nuclei, and this nuclei is usually centrally located. Okay? And around it, what you're going to see, if this is one nucleus, this over here is another nuclei, over here is another, then at some point in time, these cells will come into contact with each other, and the points where these cells meet each other form interactions, which we refer to as being the intercalated disc. So this ICD here means intercalated disc. Other things that stands out on the myocardia, or the cardiac muscle cells, is that you can see striations, meaning that you can see some areas staying darkly and some areas staying lightly. Okay? So for instance, you're going to see this staining, or what we refer to as striated pattern. So once you have striated pattern, central nucleus, and the intercalated disc, and of course you're going to have that haphazard cross-branching arrangement, then you should easily recognize this as being a, a slide from the myocardium. How does this translate if you go across here into the electron micrograph? It comes with higher magnification. It's the same principle. Here you can see striations. So you can see some areas darker staining, some areas lighter staining. And if this is one cell, and this area here represents another cell, then right around this area right here, you're going to see this kind of zigzag. And this portion here represents the intercalated disc on the electron micrograph. Next up, more details concerning the myocardium or the cardiac muscle cells. Within the cells, or helping to keep those cells together, you're going to get a series of junctional complexes. You're going to get gap junctions all right, to help the communication between them. And then you're going to have the desmosomes and the fascial adherence, and they will help them basically to fixate or to be attached onto each other. Around the nuclei of these cells, it's possible for you to see the presence of these electrodense vesicles, which as indicated here by the presence of this arrow. So these arrows indicate those electron-dense vesicles, and these are the vesicles which will secrete the atrial natriuretic factor. Okay? And this is located, these vesicles are usually found within the area around the nucleus. 
let's move on. And so, so far we've done the endocardium, the myocardium, and let's move towards the outside and let's do the epicardium. So let's orient ourselves. We've heard of the pericardial sac, mm -hmm. or the pericardium. That layer of connective tissue, which encases around the heart, and the heart sits inside of it, and there will be a cavity, which we refer to as being the pericardial cavity. So let's take a look at this. So the pericardium has different layers. Towards the very outside, you're going to have the fibrous pericardium, okay, which is this area towards the outside. You're going to recognize it as you get to the lab. And if you open the fibrous pericardium, then towards the inside of it, you're going to get what we refer to as being the serous pericardium. So there's a fibrous and a serous. The serous, on the other hand, will be divided into two sublayers. This layer lying directly underneath or the underside of the fibrous pericardium is what you refer to as being the parietal layer or the serous pericardium. Right? So the parietal layer of the serous pericardium, right around here. And you can see this parietal layer comes all the way up. And then what's going to happen to that area is then going to come over and then reflect it intimately onto the heart, covering the heart. This area of it, which wraps or makes direct continuity with the heart muscle, will then be referred to as being the visceral layer of the pericardium. Okay, And so therefore, this visceral layer of the pericardium corresponds or is synonymous to what we refer to as being the epicardium. Okay, So this is what we refer to as the epicardium. How does this translate into a histological slide? Here we have a section of the epicardium. And if this here is myocardium, then you go into what's the outside. Then within this box represents a layer here or area demarcating the epicardium. What do you need to know? First of all, you're going to see it contains a lot of loose connective tissue. And if you look carefully, you will be able to highlight that many of the cells here represent adipocytes, large sclerostalian cells with the nucleus pushed towards the side, so there will be adipocytes. And importantly, this epicardium will be covering, for instance, all of the coronary vessels of the nerves that go to and from the heart, they will be covered by the epicardium, which will correspond to the visceral layer of the serous pericardium. So don't get tied up with these different terms. Serous pericardium, or the visceral layer of it, is the same thing as what you refer to as being the epicardium. When you go to the lab, that's that shiny covering that you're going to see on the outer aspect of the heart. From here, then let's move away from the heart and move on to the blood vessels. Now, as we do this, we're going to study the structure. So let's first study the general structure of the blood vessels. So here for our illustration, we have a schematic. And this is a section through a blood vessel. So this region here represents the lumen. Okay? And then the blood vessel has three tunics. The one which is innermost, or making direct continuity with the blood, represents the tunica intima. This tunica intima comprises of the endothelium, and underneath this, you're going to have some endothelial connective tissue and a bit of the internal elastic lamina. And then underneath this, you're going to get a second layer or second tunic, which we refer to as being tunica media, which is right around here. And then towards the outside, you're going to have the tunica adventitia. So each of the different structures that we're going to study, well, basically, we're going to study the three tunics, and we're going to look for unique changes or unique points to identify them on the slides within those tunics. So let's start here with this structure, and let's talk about the tunica intima. So right around this area, the innermost one. And the tunica intima, it is formed 
firstly by the endothelial cells or the endothelium and these will be simple squamous epithelial cells okay so basically those simple squamous epithelial cells and the basal lamina of it we refer to this as an endothelium underneath this you're going to have a small amount of what we refer to as subendothelial connective tissue which is loose connective tissue containing collagen fibers elastin you're also going to have a bit of smooth muscle cells for support now in some structures you are able to distinguish a special area which we refer to as being the internal elastic lamina the internal elastic lamina right around here highlighted here in this purple color this represents a layer of elastic fibers and basically it's going to be like a boundary between the tunica intima and the one deeper which will be the tunica media the internal elastic lamina has some special features which help us carry out this function in that the elastic fibers they are fenestrated meaning that there are spaces in between them and because of these fenestrations then it's possible for to have diffusion of materials through the layers on to the underlying layers so basically nutrients for instance can move here from the lumen via the internal elastic lamina and get for instance towards the tunica media so this internal elastic lamina separates tunica intima from tunica media next up let's study the tunica media so so far we've done the intima let's look at the media so underneath the internal elastic lamina then right around this area represents the tunica media and in terms of its general structure what is it made from it's going to be made of circumferential layers of smooth muscle all right and these smooth muscle cells importantly they will secrete the extracellular matrix of this layer so here you can see the nuclei of the smooth muscle cells okay and these smooth muscle cells will then secrete the other things around it so for instance it's going to have or secrete the imbricated layers of elastic fibers collagen type 3 fibers and proteoglycans so within the tunica media the major things will be the smooth muscle cells together with elastic fibers collagen fibers and proteoglycans from here we can move towards the outside towards the tunica adventitia and the tunica adventitia is the outermost one and it's mainly composed of collagen type 1 fibers and a few elastic fibers in a loose arrangement but importantly it is the layer at which you're going to have the nerve which supplies the blood vessel which is called the nervi basorum and the blood vessel which supplies the, the vessel which is called the basobasorum also you're going to have lymphatics at that layer now in the smaller vessels this tunica adventitia basically blends and merges with the surrounding connective tissue let's take a deeper look at the endothelial cells from the tunica intima here you're going to have electron images representing the endothelial cells so you know they're the innermost one they're the ones that come into direct continuity with the blood here you can see an electron micrograph section through this blood vessel these in the center represent erythrocytes or red blood cells and over here you can see the endothelial cells coming close to them so the endothelial cells first of all they're oriented longitudinally along the orientation of the flow of the blood okay that's to facilitate the smooth flow and then these endothelial cells they will be held together by tight junctions okay but between them they're going to have communication via gap junctions so here you can see this layer of endothelial cells and if you look at a different section along uh, you can see here that this represents the elongated nuclei of the endothelial cells and that elongation takes the same orientation as the flow of the blood 
Okay, so the orientation here represents the way that the blood will be flowing. And you can see here lumen and the endothelial cells around. Let's look at the functions of the endothelial cells. These are topics that usually frequent, of course, examinations. Now, the endothelial cells carry out a series of important functions. Firstly, it's a selectively permeable membrane. Okay, so for instance, that's important because, for instance, in areas such as the brain, all right, lung, you're going to have these barriers, blood-brain barrier, okay, and this will be controlled by the function of these endothelial cells. Also, the endothelial cells, if you look at this section, has special receptors on them, and these receptors help to track, for instance, the migration of lymphocytes. So, for instance, here you can see a lymphocyte, it gets attracted here to the receptor, and therefore these endothelial cells allow the movement of the lymphocyte from the blood through the endothelial cell, and from there it can find its way into the specific connective tissue where it has to carry out its inflammatory process. So it allows for the movement of inflammatory cells into the tissues. Also, the EDGF, endothelium-derived growth factor, provides for the angiogenesis in embryogenesis, as well as if you have vascular trauma or tumor, it allows the facilitation of the growth of new blood vessels, angiogenesis. It also helps or produces vasoconstrictors and vasodilators. So here, for instance, the vasoconstrictors will be, an example will be endotelin, and so this helps to dilate the blood vessels, and also vasodilators such as nitric oxide and prostacycline. These are also produced by the endothelial cells. Importantly, it also has anticoagulant symbols, thrombomodulin, and this is important because these prevent the adhesion or attachments of platelets and aggregation and basically, what does it do? It produces these factors to help to prevent blood clotting and allow the unobstructed flow of blood in normal conditions. The key word there is normal conditions. Also, you're going to see or you're going to study a system which you refer to as being the renin-angiotensin system, and specifically the pulmonary endothelial cells, they will produce ACE, which is angiotensin-converting enzyme, and this is an important enzyme in the conversion of a substance which is called angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. And this plays an important role in the regulation of, for instance, the blood pressure. Now, if something goes wrong and there's some injury to the endothelial cell, then the endothelial cell also has means to protect it if something goes wrong. Within the endothelial cells, you're going to get rod-shaped inclusions called wider palladial bodies, and these wider palladial bodies will store Van Willebrand factor, which is a glycoprotein, and this is one of the factors that will bind a gluten factor 8. And so this Van Willebrand protein, if you have an injury, then the presence of this allows for the formation of a clot and basically allows the stopping of the bleeding. Okay? So that's a key point. Because under normal conditions, it doesn't allow formation of clots. But if you have some injury, some damage to the endothelial, then, then you have the interplay of these Van Willebrand factors, which allow the formation of the clot and helps, of course, stop the bleeding and protect the rest of the surrounding structures. Let's get on to elastic arteries. Now, in each of these different areas, we'll be looking at the tunica intima, tunica media and the tunica adventitia and highlighting unique features 
which will make each of them distinct. And those are the things that you're going to have to remember as you go about identifying these slides. Let's look at the elastic arteries. Examples of elastic arteries will be the aorta and its main branches, common carotid, subclavian, common iliacs. Now these are named elastic arteries due to the large number of elastic fibers in the tunica media and this can go from 40 to 70 layers. These elastic fibers will then be arranged in what you refer to as being an imbricated fashion, meaning that they are arranged in concentric layers, just like for instance the way shingles will be stacked one upon each other with spaces in between. And importantly, these spaces or these fenestrations will be important for the permitting of diffusion of nutrients throughout the layer in that tunica media. The structural significance of these imbricated elastic fibers is that it allows for the expansion of the vessel to accommodate the large volume of blood during systole, elastic fibers, so it can stretch. And of course, if it stretches, then it can recoil. So therefore, it allows elastic recoiling, and that will help to maintain the intravascular pressure within the structure. This is a histological slide of an elastic artery. How does all of the things that I've just said translate? Firstly, let's orient ourselves. This represents the lumen of the blood vessel. So therefore, the area closest to the lumen represents the tunica intima, as indicated here. And remember the components of the tunica intima. Endothelial cells and the myth of subendothelial connective tissue. So this represents the extent of the tunica intima. And then from this point all the way to about here represents the tunica media. And the unique characteristic of the elastic artery will be 40 to 70 layers of elastic, fi la elastic fibers within the tunica media. Apart from these 40 to 70 layers of elastic fibers, remember you will also have smooth muscle cells and type 3 collagen fibers. And deeper out or towards, towards the periphery, you're going to have the tunica adventitia. And this tunica adventitia right around this region represents dense irregular connective tissue and this helps to prevent the excessive expansion of the vessel because of this dense irregular nature of the connective tissue. Let's take a higher magnification as a look at the elastic artery. So this is a section through the aorta and its trichrome stain. So what can you tell? Let's look at the three tunics. This is the lumen, so therefore this area here represents the tunica intima. From this point, all the way over here represents tunica media, and this portion over here represents tunica adventitia. So within the media, that's where the big things are. You're going to have a large amount of elastic fibers, and they're going to be arranged imbricatedly. So for instance, you can see the nuclei, and the nuclei represents the nuclei of the smooth muscle cells. And then in between the nuclei, you're going to see those spaces, and these spaces correspond to those 40 to 70 layers of the elastic fibers in that imbricated fashion. Next up, let's take a deeper look at the lower portion of the tunica media. So this represents the same elastic artery, and you can see the nuclei of the spoon muscle cells. In between will be the profiles of the elastic fibers. And as you go deeper down, then over here we're going to have the tunica adventitia, and this over here represents the nervi basorum and the basobasorum. Let's go on to more slides concerning the elastic artery. Here you can see a different stain, but the principles remain the same. This represents tunica, this represents the lumen, and in the lumen, you're going to have the tunica intima. This portion here represents tunica media. Two things in tunica media. The nuclei represents the nuclei of the smooth muscle cells. And all of these curly patterns that you see right here, 
This represents the elastic fibers, 40 to 70 layers, and that's why you call it the elastic artery. So you can see the large amounts of elastic fibers, and you can see that they arrange in an imbricated manner with the spaces in between to allow diffusion, and note the spool muscle cells hit the nuclei of them. Let's go on now and let's compare this to the muscular arteries. So the muscular arteries tend to be the ones that students are more familiar with. So all the arteries that we normally study, the named arteries, brachial, radial, femoral, tibial, all of these are examples of muscular arteries. They're also referred to as the distributed arteries or named arteries, and these will be the most abundant type of artery within the body. Now these are named muscular arteries because they contain more smooth muscle cells in the tunica media than elastic fibers. Okay, so that's a big difference between that and the elastic. Okay, so as they become smaller, the elastic fibers, they lose some of the elastic fibers, and what happens to them? All of these elastic fibers get pushed towards the outer portions of the tunica media, forming what you refer to as being an external elastic lamina, which serves like a boundary between tunica media and tunica adventitia. So therefore, the presence of the external elastic lamina is a characteristic feature of the muscular arteries. So these arteries, they basically serve as conduits or distribution points from the elastic vessels to the smaller vessels. How does all of this translate into a histological slide? This is a section through and muscular artery. This area here represents the lumen, and of course, facing the lumen, right around here, you're going to have the presence of the endothelial cells in the tunica intima. And please note, directly beneath IEL, this represents a single layer of elastic fibers, all right, which separates what? The tunica intima from the media, all right? So IEL, okay? So there's a distinct IEL on this slide, which is a distinguishing characteristics, and it has this kind of scalloped or undulating appearance. And then this region from this point all the way to about here represents the tunica media. And in that tunica media, this time you're going to have 80 to 40 layers of smooth muscle cells arranged in a circular fashion. And remember, also you're going to have elastic fibers and collagen fibers. Now remember, I told you that the elastic fibers, they're going to get pushed down towards the outer portions of the tunica media. And so right around this area where I have the cursor represents the distinct external elastic lamina, which is a characteristic feature of the muscular artery. And over here will then be tunica adventitia, which will be dense connective tissue with elastic and collagen fibers. And you're also going to find the vessels around here, the novibasorums and the basobasorums. More slides concerning the muscular artery. Take a look at this one. This is a pretty one. Towards the sector, you're going to have what? The lumen. Then you're going to have tunica intima. So you're going to have what? Endothelium, all right? Some of the connective tissue. Then you're going to have the IEL, which represents what? Internal elastic lamina, this kind of scallop area, which is one layer of elastic fibers separating intima and media. And so from this point until all the way over here represents the tunica media. And in this area is going to have what? 80 to 40 layers of smooth muscle cells. You can see the nuclei of all of these smooth muscle cells, and therefore the elastic fibers will be concentrated or grouped as a band towards the outer margins of the media, and then this will be referred to as the EEL, or external elastic lamina. So once you look at a slide and you see EEL, or if you're lucky and you see both IEL and EEL, then for sure you know that this is a muscular artery, okay? Because the elastic artery did not look that way. How does this look if you're going to take a look at some of it on electron micrograph? 
Here you can see an electron micrograph. In this area here, you can see a bit of the tunica intima. So you can see here the endothelial cells. And this scalloping area here behind it represents the internal elastic lamina. And from this area down represents the smooth muscle cells in the tunica media. So the endothelial cells, you can see all of them in this region here. If we take a look at this section, this is the lumen. Right around here represents the tunica intima. All of this area here represents a bit of the tunica media with the 8 to 40 layers of smooth muscle cells. And towards the outer portions, you're going to get the AEL, which represents the external elastic lamina. Let's move on now, and let's go and speak about the small arteries. So within these small arteries, we still have to speak about the tunics, intima, media, and adventitia. So, but it's small, so therefore that should give you an indication as to what you expect to see. Let's take a look at this. This will be the lumen, and then this area here lining the lumen will be the tunica intima. It's still endothelial cells. This time we're going to have less subendothelial connective tissue. It's possible in some of the small arteries you're going to see the presence of the internal elastic lamina. This one here is a slide has, which has the internal elastic lamina. Then this region here represents the tunica media. And in the small arteries, the figures change. We only have three to eight layers of smooth muscle cells within the tunica media. And they will also be arranged within a circular fashion. And then towards the outside, you're going to have the tunica adventitia. And this tunica adventitia is going to be, of course, connective tissue with a type 1 collagen. And that's going to blend into the surrounding connective tissue. So here you can see another slide. This is the same slide, and it represents the electron micrograph. These will be erythrocytes, red blood cells within the lumen. This here represents the tunica intima. Over here, you can see the tunica media. And towards the outside over here, you're going to have the tunica adventitia. Let's continue. Small artery. This is, these are most slides of the small arteries. Here you can do. Let's look at this one. This is the lumen. So therefore, this is the tunica intima. On this slide, you can see a distinct internal elastic lamina. Then you're going to have the, up to eight layers of muscles in the tunica media. And then these portions over here represents the tunica adventitia. And you can see this slide. By looking at it, you can analyze this and be able to tell it's a small artery also. The lumen, intima, over here represents media, and towards the outside represents a bit of the adventitia. So the muscular artery and the elastic artery did not look that way. Let's go on to the arterial. Arterials are important vessels. They are the smallest arteries, the less than 0.1 micrometer in millimeter in diameter, and they, be clo they can close down to generate high resistance to the blood flow. So because of this, this ability to generate high resistance to the blood flow, we say that the arterioles are the major determinants of blood pressure. Within the arterial, the tunica intima will be made from the endothelium. Within the tunica media, you're going to have at most one to two layers right around here of smooth muscle cells. And then the adventitia, it will be ill-defined and it will be merging with the surrounding connective tissue. Okay? So each of them looks different. So the significance of the arterial is that their small radius provides increased resistance to the flow of blood, and so therefore they help to maintain the blood pressure. So therefore the arterioles are the determinant vessels in determining blood pressure. From here we can see it regulates. Let's talk about what we refer to as being the precapillary sphincter. So this is the arterial, and then from the arterial, then we have to make our way towards the capillary bed. Before it goes over there, we're going to speak about what we refer to as being a precapillary sphincter, 
which represents an area of smooth muscle. And this sprig of pillory sphincter, the function of this is to regulate the flow of blood from the arterial into the capillary bed. But this is done by physiological demand. So for instance, if you ate and you have to increase the blood flow to the GI tract, then of course the other area is going to have less blood and the GI tract is going to have more. And if you exercise, then the muscle is going to have more as compared to the other organs. Let's speak a little bit more about the microcirculation. Now here we have an arterial, and therefore there's a part here which we refer to as being the meta-arterial. And the meta-arterial is the initial segment of the channel connecting the arterial up here, down here to the venue. Okay? So somewhere along here, what's going to happen within this connection, then you're going to have emerging out of it will be the different capillaries, and the capillaries will be the smallest blood vessels, and so they will emerge from the meta-arterial and the channels to make up the capillary plexus to allow all of that exchange. Now the flow of the blood through these structures, remember as I just showed, is regulated by the presence of the pre-capillary sphincters, which are these sphincters right about this point, and remember these are made from smooth muscle cells. Let's talk now about capillaries. So they're very small. They're less complex. The luminal diameters are like 7 to 9 microns. So you know these are very small. They consist of a single layer of endothelial cells plus basal lamina. They permit the exchange of materials and different levels of metabolic exchange. And importantly, some of these capillaries will be surrounded by some cells which we refer to as being the pericytes or get cells. The capillaries, there are three different types of capillary. We have a continuous capillary, a fenestrated capillary, and a sinusoidal capillary. This slide shows us a slide of the continuous capillary. What is it made from? Continuous, so what do we have? We're going to have a continuous basal lamina, which is this area here represented in the blue. And these, the endothelial cells, they will be continuous with each other and they will have tight junction between those cells. Okay? So a continuous layer of endothelial cells held together by tight junctions and a continuous basal lamina. The significance of these continuous capillaries, also called somatic capillaries, is that they allow complete control over the exercise and exit of substances through them. So they have complete control over diffusion, endocytosis, and exocytosis. And these are the vessels that will form the barriers in the body, such as the blood-brain barrier, the blood thymus barrier, the blood testes barrier. Okay? So in these bodies, in these locations, you will be able to find continuous capillaries. Other areas you're going to find them will be in connective tissue, muscle tissue, nerve tissue, exocrine glands, and in the cerebral cortex. And take a look at these sections. These are sections from the heart, and the blood the capillaries in the heart will be examples here of the continuous capillary. How does this translate onto electron micrograph? Higher magnification, at higher magnification view, if this area here represents the lumen, then you will be able to appreciate that the endothelial cells have pinocytotic vesicles. So these folds, all right, form these pinocytotic vesicles, and these pinocytotic vesicles are the means by which the large molecules will be able to be exchanged in and out of the capillaries. Also, if you look here, you will be able to tell that this is an endothelial cell. This is another endothelial cell right here. Then you can see the tight junction between them, holding them together. And in this slide, towards the periphery, 
you'll be able to see one of those cells that you refer to as the pericytes. And these pericytes are important because they help in the structural, keep the structural integrity of the capillary. Let's look at some more electron micrograph slides of the capillaries. Here you can see the endothelial cell. Here you can see a tight junction. Over here you can see a pericyte. And if you look at the scanning electron micrograph version of it, you can see these cells here represent the pericytes. And these pericytes, they wrap around the capillaries and they help to maintain the structural integrity of the capillaries. From this one, let's go on to the second type of capillary, the fenestrated capillary, or the visceral capillary. So once you see fenestration, you know that there's somewhere that there's some bit of openings along the way. What do we need to know? Let's look at the structure. First of all, it still has a continuous basal lamina, all right? The endothelial cells are still continuous, and they're still held together by tight junctions. But what happens is that along the walls of the endothelial cells, the cell membranes will have fenestrations or little holes in them, and these holes can be fenestrations of about 80 to 100 nanometers. The significance of these is that there's a presence of thin, non-membranous diaphragms across the fenestrations, and you're going to find these diaphragms in these type of capillaries, all right, except for in one area in which you're going to find fenestrated capillaries without diaphragms, and those will be in the glomerulus of the kidneys. Other locations that you can find these fenestrated capillaries will be in peptide-secreting endocrine organs. You're also going to find them in the ciliary process of the eyes, the core plexus in the, in the ventricles of the brain, in the kidney glomeruli, and in the lamina propria of the GI tract. How does this translate into electron micrograph images? This represents a section through the entire capillary, and if you look here, each of these arrows represents one of these fenestrations or openings on the walls of the cell membrane. So if you look at it on the scanning electron micrograph image, once you see these little holes, all right, then you can be able to appreciate that these will be the fenestrations, and these will be bridged by diaphragms, except for in the kidneys. And here you can also see another image representing the fenestrated capillaries. You can see all of these pores representing pores within the cell membrane of those endothelial cells. From this, let's go on to the third type of capillary, which represents the discontinuous capillary or the sinusoidal capillary. So if it says discontinuous, it kind of gives you an idea already. What, does it make, what is it made up from? First of all, there's a discontinuous basal lamina, all right? So that's unique. Also, there's no tight junction between the endothelial cells, and even on the walls of the endothelial cells, there will be these large openings or large fenestrations. So therefore, there's a lot of conditions for exchange. The significance of these are the fenestrations. They are large and variable, so therefore they can reach several microns in diameter. <coughs> the size of the fenestrations may vary in different organs, but the importance of this is that these allow the passage of macromolecules between them pretty freely. So therefore, you're going to find these type of capillaries in areas in which you're going to have a lot of changing over, a lot of blood flow. For instance, in the liver, in the spleen, and in the bone marrow, you will be able to find these discontinuous or sinusoidal capillaries. Take a look at these images. This image is an image here from the liver. So the parts in red represents the hepatocytes of the liver cells. And the tips of each of these arrows will be these clear areas, and these clear areas correspond to those sinusoidal capillaries within the liver. If you look at this on the electron micrograph, this here represents the hepatocytes, 
And these areas here, you're going to see these red blood cells. These represent areas of the sinusoids or those sinusoidal capillaries within the liver. Let's go on. Let's talk about the spleen. Let's go about, I'll take the question after. Let's speak about the spleen. So here you can see an image of the spleen. All right, so those of you who have done spleen before, you know the spleen is divided into red pulp and white pulp. And within the spleen, you also will find sinusoidal capillaries. So on the tip of each of these areas, you're going to see clear empty spaces. And these empty spaces will be locations where you're going to find those sinusoidal capillaries. Here you can have an electron micrograph representing the spleen. You can see here the endothelial cells and the cadets. You can see spaces in between those cells. And so therefore, you know that there can be lots of exchange occurring at this. Take a look at this cross-section here through the spleen. This is a sinusoidal capillary. Look at all of the, the sinusoids and the spaces in between the large fenestrations in between the endothelial cells. Remember, these cells are not held together by tight junctions, and so there's a lot of exchange that can occur at this level. Let's next speak here concerning there's a different, there are different routes in which you can have connection between the arterial system and the venule system and so, for instance, if this here represents an arterial, then the arterial could come across and it can form the capillary plexus and then connect here with the venue. If not, it's also possible that you can have straight over from the arterial, go across to the metaarterial, and then you're going to have a bypass of the capillaries in which you're going to have what we refer to an atrovenous anastomosis. And then it's also possible for you to have an arterial, then you're going to have a capillary bed, then you're going to have an arterial again, and then go across into another portion of the capillary. And then it's also possible for you to have two veins connected here just by a capillary bed, and uh, for instance, you're going to find this example in a good place, like the liver. Okay, so let's just do two of these. I think it closed. Okay, that, it closed prematurely. Don't worry, we're going to run it over. So let's, let's look at it. So here you have a newborn female presenting with signs of distress. Cardiology consultation revealed the presence of a right bundle branch block affecting the entire side of the heart. And which of the following histological structures will be responsible for this condition? And of course, the answer that you had to tell me was the Purkinje fiber cells. Because you must think of the electrical conduction within the heart. Okay? First lecture, don't worry, you're going to get these things as you read over these things. And let's see if I get the second one to work. It's not working? I think it's working now. <laughs> it's supposed to be 82 seconds. Alright, so clicking on this one, clicking on this one, everybody clicking on this one. This one seems to be working well. So here you have a 50-year-old male and he's diagnosed with liver cirrhosis after presenting vomits of blood. Further study reveals the presence of portal hypertension affecting the portal circulation, hepatic portal circulation, which of the following structures were most likely affected by this condition. All right, this should have been the last thing that we did. All right, everybody, please click in. All right, a couple seconds left on this one. I have 443. 
That's when the answer could only be one thing. <laughs> Anyone left? The number seems constant, 443. Okay, let's go for this. Hundred percent. Oh boy. Good. So sinusoidal capillaries. Okay, so that was the answer. So we have to relate the sinusoidal capillaries as the type of capillary within the liver. Okay, so you're gonna come back at the top of the hour? All right, for the second part.